All right, we'll go ahead and start. Hey, good afternoon. Glad you're here. Um, the words to our song that we're going to sing should be up here momentarily. I hope. We can do the other one first, yeah. If you've got it up there. Yeah. I think most of you know this. Sing it with me. My name is Mark Barron. I pastor the Cumberland Presbyterian Church uh, in Manchester. It's good to see. It's good to be with y'all here today, and it's good to, to see y'all. I'm going to be reading out of the uh, Gospel of Mark. Uh, so, chapter 15. I'm going to do uh, verses 1 through 15, but we're going to concentrate 
on verse 2. Uh, it's uh, the trials, about the trial of Jesus. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was a custom at the festival of, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrections and who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate, to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing that it was uh, out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed, handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Well, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they all shouted the, all the louder, Crucify him. Wanting, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Bow with me for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for, uh, this, for your spirit to be with us during this time together. And... Uh, our hearts and minds from any worldly distractions we may have and uh, help us, help our souls to hear once again the good news of your amazing grace. In your son's strong name we ask, we pray, amen. Everything that occurs in Jesus' life before the trial is a, it's a profound preface to the Lenten experience. The Bible tells us that the prelude lasted 33 years. Jesus was born in a humble stable in Bethlehem. He is visited by magi, visited by kings. And then Mary and Joseph scoop up the baby Jesus, and they go to Egypt because they fear for his life. For the next 30 years, it seems Jesus' life is pretty ordinary. Uh, he helped his father uh, in the carpentry shop in their hometown of Nazareth. And then when Jesus was about 30 years old, things changed dramatically. Jesus began his ministry, and he enlists the 12 people to help him. And Jesus literally becomes a superstar. And he goes through the region performing miracles and healing people and teaching like no one has ever taught before. Today in our scripture we find him he's on trial. To understand the trial, we need to understand and remember the context. Jesus has come down from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he enters Jerusalem riding on a colt. And it says that there were thousands of people gathered along the way to see the entrance of this man who has done some <clears throat> unusual things and done some really fantastic things, extraordinary things. And so in Jerusalem, there is this high level of excitement. As people watch Jesus ride into town, 
thousands of people of people are are gathering for a parade, and that's really what it was. It was a parade. And uh, maybe you ask, you know, those people that are along the parade route, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Well, let me tell you, it was a diverse lot. I can. T- some of them were there because. It was interesting. They were interested. Some were there because it was entertaining. Some were there because Jesus was was irritating. And some of them were there because Jesus was was inspiring. Those who were the most interested along that path, that parade route, were his followers. The twelve disciples and the other people that were close to Jesus, and they they were still a little bit confused. They were there, but they weren't really sure what was about to happen. Jesus had identified himself as the Messiah, but they still saw Jesus as a king. Even though Jesus interpreted himself as a suffering servant, uh, you know, saying, I'm going to suffer. So they didn't really know what was going to happen, and they were really curious to see how all this was going to play out. Some along the parade route just wanted to be entertained. Uh, they'd heard of Jesus. They heard about the miracles that he had done. And, and they wanted to be entertained. They wanted to see some miracles. A, a group who was just plain irritated were the Jewish officials, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And there's just no other way to say it. They were, they felt threatened. Jesus comes along this parade route. He comes into Jerusalem. Some gospels say on a colt, others a donkey. Okay? And there's thousands of people welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. These Jewish leaders, they couldn't have had three or four people welcome them into Jerusalem if they'd been riding an elephant. And so there are many of them are feeling threatened by the notoriety that Jesus has. Some of them who wanted to be entertained, some wanted to find out some answers, and the others, they're you know, just plain mad. Uh, some were there because they were inspired by Jesus. Uh, there were many watching the parade on that day who had had their lives changed. They had had a son or a daughter who had been healed. Uh, maybe they had been healed from blindness or para- being paralyzed. And, and Jesus had healed them. And so they were inspired by Jesus, and they wanted to see him. They wanted to cheer him on as he came into Jerusalem. So it was a very diverse lot uh, of people on that parade route. However, uh, it turns out that there was a common theme. And the common theme, uh, to me, it's just a little bit confusing. There's just a common theme of ambivalence. You have people on one day who are saying, Hosanna to Jesus, and a few days later they're saying, Crucify him. I don't know if there's ever been a crowd in the, in the history of humanity who has changed their mind so quickly. There's, so there's just this huge ambivalence in the crowd between whether or not you know, Jesus is a superstar or if he's a villain. You know, on one day, they say, he's the best. A few days later, they say, crucify him. So it's very, very confusing. Jesus is up one minute, and he's down the other minute. Well, people in Jerusalem were asking this question. Who are you? Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? Pilate, at the trial of Jesus, was asking the very same question. Jesus, who are you? And on this issue of who are you, 
on this Thursday of Lent. A great question for this afternoon is to ask yourself, who is this man for me? What does he mean for my life? What does he mean for my family? What can Jesus do for me and my family? I got a glimpse of an answer to this a few months ago. I came across a news article. It's about an 87-year-old woman who was bedridden, very, very sick, but she was still blessed with this divine, positive, uh, wonderful outlook, attitude on life. She was being, being interviewed for a human interest story and was asked, you know, hey, you know, just to break the ice, hey, um, why don't you tell me about your life? And she began saying, I was born a miracle, and I'm going to die a miracle. And then she talked about how she came into the world and told what may be the greatest stories I've ever heard of someone's birth into the world. Now remember, this is an 87-year-old woman talking about her life being a miracle. She said that her mother was 21 years old in 1921. And her mom drove up from Oklahoma to Kansas for a July 4th celebration. Family on both sides of the family were going to be there. Her mother, who was four and a half months pregnant in 1921, with this woman who's now 87 years old, got very, very sick on the journey from Oklahoma to Kansas. When she got to Kansas at her her mom's home, so the the lady telling the story is it be her grandmother, the very sick 21-year-old woman goes into labor. She has this baby, only four and a half months pregnant. The baby weighs less than one pound. The maternal and the paternal grandmothers deliver this baby. And then they call the doctor. The doctor's in a different town. The doctor comes. Now, if you've ever been to a neonatal intensive care unit, you know that a four and a half month baby, it weighs less than a pound. Okay? You can hold it literally in the palm of your hand. The doctor saw the baby and gave a brief examination of the child and told the two grandmothers that the baby, that this baby is not going to survive more than an hour or two. And he literally packed up his bag and, and left. Left this preemie to die. And so now this, this now 87-year-old woman looked at the person who was doing the interview and with a twinkle in her eye said, I outlived the doctor. <laughs> I outlived the doctor. And she, then she continued her amazing story. Her grandmothers, her grandmothers got a shoebox and put cotton on the bottom of the shoebox and lined the, out, the edges of the shoebox and then placed her in the shoebox and then put it, the shoebox in a stove to keep it warm. And every day she said, I got a little bit better and a little bit stronger. A little bit better and a little bit stronger. And there she was at 87 years old telling this story with tears in her eyes saying, you know, I am a miracle. My life is a miracle. And at the end it's going to be a miracle as well. And she concluded by saying, I owe it all to Jesus Christ. 
from the beginning and to what will be the end on earth. And I've been thinking about that story a lot lately. I don't think I could put it any better than that. You know, so who is Jesus Christ for you? Well, I would hope that He's the one that can bring you the miracle of new life here and bring you the promise and the reality of eternal life and the one to come. The second thing that strikes me as true on this issue of who Jesus is, beyond miracles, is that Jesus shows us who God is. At the beginning of John, there's just a little meditation saying that God comes into the world in the person of Jesus. That God is revealed in Jesus Christ, and because we can see Jesus and try to live that life out the best we can to have the best life we can here on earth. Uh, Several months ago, I was in Nashville, and I saw this played out. I needed to go to one of those government buildings, and I found the building on GPS, but there weren't any parking places at the building, so I had to drive around. Finally, I found a place to park, but it was three blocks away from where I needed to be, and so I got out and started walking, and uh, I have to be honest. As I was walking uh, to the building, I became a little nervous because there are a lot of homeless people asking me for money as I walked by. I should not have been nervous, but I was. And then I started to see a lot of clearly mentally ill people, homeless people, marginalized people, and I was thinking to myself, you know, Gee, where, where am I? Where am I? And as I was walking, suddenly I turned the corner and I see all these people. These people were standing in a line with all sorts of problems, standing in line in front of a building. And it was the Nashville Rescue Mission to get something to eat women's campus. And they were all going inside to get something to eat or something to drink or to get some medical attention or to have a place to, to sleep. And there were all these volunteers tending to the people in need who were outside. And as I walked by, I just kind of stopped and I observed. And I've got to tell you, I don't know if I've ever seen a a church body or a a friendlier church body or a friendly institution in my life. It didn't matter who you were. It did not matter what you looked like. You were received with love. And it was amazing. It was an amazing thing to witness. I did not notice that building because of a steeple. I noticed it because there was just this huge amount of people, an unbelievable number of people with pain, with suffering, who were being helped. And as I watched, I couldn't help but remember the great song that is sung so often at church camps, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our... Now, I really believe that that's true. I believe that with all my heart. And I think what this, that is what this Scripture says to each and every one of us. We will know God by encountering Christ. Jesus was fully human, fully God. And people are going to find God in our lives through the way we live our lives, expressing God's love. And I think that's a great message. And it's an important message any time of the year, especially during Lent. 
Helen Keller met Christ in a most unusual way. Ann Sullivan said that there was just a time in her life that she was helping Helen Keller along that she said, you know, it's time for me to introduce Helen Keller to, to, to Christ. But she didn't know how to do that. So she enlisted the help of Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks was a very prominent pastor in the Boston area, invited him to come and try to do his best to tell Helen about Jesus Christ. And he worked with her and worked with her and worked with her. And finally, one day, Helen Keller said, I have always known God. I have always known God, but I did not know His name until this moment. As we journey through Lent, let me tell you, His name is Jesus Christ, and He can cause a miracle to happen in your life, both here and in the one to come. And He is God. He is God living out a life in this world for us to see, for us to emulate, and for one to call our own. Let's pray. Oh God, our Lord, we thank you for for all that you have given to us. You have blessed us in so many ways in our own journey. Help us to look again at the journey of Jesus Christ and know of of His courage, to know of His love, and to help us live better in our own lives. In Christ's holy name we ask, we pray. Amen.
pray with me. We're going to have our meal, uh, prayer over the meal. Uh, Tony, any instructions for us? All right. Let's have a prayer together, and uh, afterwards we'll have our meal. And then those of you that are part of the, well, everybody's invited to be a part of this, but if you're a part of the Ministerial Association, uh, remind you that after we eat, we'll have a brief meeting to discuss the uh, upcoming Holy Week services at First Pres. So uh, let's, we'll take care of some of that business today, too. So let's bow our heads and have a prayer over our meal. Lord Jesus, we've been blessed by being in your house today. We're thankful for every person that's here, and we're thankful for Mark and the message that you laid on his heart. And Lord, we do, during this Lenten season, we reflect on what it means to be one of your people and one of your children and who you are to us. And uh, as that song that we just sang reminds us, you, you call us friend and we call you our friend. Even though you're the creator of the universe, we're grateful for that. Bless now this time that we have together around the table and this fellowship and the time that follows that. Uh, guide and direct us to the rest of this Lenten season, we pray. Bring us closer to your heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.